0: This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. We
1: have a really special holiday episode coming at you today. We have Mary Ferreri, the founder and executive director of Emerald School of Excellence, and Bridget and Tommy Norris, a mother and son who have experienced Emerald firsthand. All three are really close friends of mine. It's Emerald something that's really close to my heart and something I've been involved in over the last four years, and I'm really happy to have them here today and to have them share their messages with you. So let's get it rolling. Mary, Bridget, and Tommy, welcome to Champagne Problems.
2: Thank you. Glad to Thank be you. here. Thank you, Patrick.
1: I um, this this has been a um, kind of dream of mine since the inception of our podcast was to you know have Mary on to talk about Emerald School of Excellence, and you know it, it kind of morphed into more of a family holiday episode. Really looking forward to diving in today um, with the three of you all. Um, you all three of you all are very special to me, and um, I'm, <laughs> I'm just really grateful that we're all here sitting in the same room, yeah. and we get to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So you know, we we were brainstorming, you know, all five of us thinking about how we were going to kind of structure this conversation, and um, you know, we all kind of came to the came to the decision that we were going to kind of start and um, and have Mary tell. Kind of the story of Emerald and and what what a recovery high school is and how it came about and then and then just kind of open it up into a you know more of a conversation free for all baby just a just a free for all go nuts we're gonna go nuts and Tommy a little bit and, and, and (laughs) and hopefully hear some of their stories and um and how that relates to the holidays and to family. Health and happiness. You know, I also want to hear a little bit about your your background and and where you came from and how how the heck did you become an executive director of a recovery high school?
3: <laughs> your guess is as good as
2: mine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you, and this is a really special moment, so I'm, I'm excited to get to share kind of an exclusive kind of take and look into the story. And it's all over the place. It kind of, I think, has so many pieces to it. But I think I'll do my best to start from the beginning. So I'm 37. And I was adopted at eight days old from Mexico. And adopted into a family that gave me, I think, I know, such a better life and opportunities. But I think since the age I could understand which was about four or five, that I didn't quite belong and that there were so many things about me that I needed to discover, but didn't know what the heck that meant at that age and growing and being interested in who the heck I am. But I don't look like anybody and big family and great foundations. Struggles for myself personally in high school and stopping all the things I loved made my junior, senior year of high school really, really hard. And I had an alternative to finish on time. And that didn't even feel significant until now. Um, but I know that there were people that stepped up and helped me out in a time of need. And still felt, I think, a disconnection to who are my people, who am I. Um, but a, a somewhat of a knowing that I love sports and I love kids, so I need to pursue that. What does that look like? screamed to me physical education teacher like PE teacher and a coach but I said to myself at 18 college is not for me um, until this was this aha moment that I think a lot of us have at some point or another to redirect us and I'm grateful I, I listened to that and trusted that nudge that pull to kind of say you need to go to school and figure this thing out and go back and play soccer again but you need to find your birth mom because that's a huge missing link. And so when everyone and their mother says that's going to be impossible and you can't do that, that won't happen, something within me I think was ignited for the first <laughs> Challenge. time. Yeah. I think it was a f- – I know now is faith that in my own spiritual journey, an angel, someone, God, pushing me to say, go find your birth mom, move, move forward, stop being stuck. And so that journey of finding her, and in fact, I did, and that's a whole long story for another day, but (laughs) finding her and having that connection piece of a little bit better understanding of who I am and where I'm from. And I think that I know that sparked what I needed to just start to lean into what was next for me. And that was just to be with kids. Once I was teaching in the public school system for a while, I think I recognized that if we as adults, just pause and stop thinking we know everything all the time. Shocking, right? Um, That the kids actually could teach us a heck of a lot more about ourselves if we let them, then amazing things can happen. But it also, what it did for me was show me a lot. Being a PE teacher and a coach, you get to hear a lot of stuff and build relationships that other teachers just don't get to. You're joking around, you're in warm-ups, you're doing sports on and off the field, you're spending extra time with them. They just open up because you're having fun and you're laughing and playing sports. It's just not – you're not stuck in a classroom. So I yes. – where, where
0: was all this going on?
3: So I first was in a middle school, but then I was teaching in in Charlotte in CMS. So
0: for, in Charlotte? Yeah. Did not reac- yes, re- realize yes. that. Gotcha.
3: Yeah, moved here cool. from New York. Um, but I've been here since 2008. Okay. And teaching for – in the public school system for 11 years taught me a lot. And so the high school students kind of showed me that there's – really two main issues going on in schools. And I always describe this as, like, you know, when you buy a car, like a new car or get a new car, and before that car, you didn't see that car anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you get in the car, and you're like, hey, you everybody's see that got car everywhere. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world? Like, But that's always been, right? It was always there. It's not like – but this realization. And I describe that to, like, the needs of the students that were brought to my attention that I think as you're going – in the day to day as in any job. There's things that are just happening that are around you but if it's not your priority and you don't have the like right lens to see, you just don't see it. And so when students brought to my attention that the two main issues that they were all facing was mental health struggles around depression, anxiety and suicide and substance use, I was like this is is scary and when you, again, build a relationship with kids, they become, like, really so stinking important to you. Mm-hmm. So to then know that partying with morphine on a spring break was, was, no, was normal for them um, and terrifying to hear, you're just like, what are we not doing? Mm-hmm. And what is possible to help address and meet the needs of teenagers who are really, if you ask, will tell you anything. <laughs> but who cares to ask? And then a film was being blasted around the country called Generation Found where they dove into the best, in my opinion, the best recovery high school in the country in Houston, Texas called Archway Academy. And so on my path to continue to learn and grow from others, I hosted a screening of this in in actually in Ballantyne and Stonecrest and over 100 people came. that was the first time the Charlotte community for the most part was exposed to recovery high schools to those 100 people. And I think from that point on, when the mother of that um, young man who, who passed leaned over to me in a Panera, which was like our historic meeting place for brainstorming and trying to help the world, she just leaned over to me and said, Mary, like, why don't you just open a recovery high school? And I said to her, oh, like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm teaching physical education and, and coaching. Like, i like first of all just to look at me and say that was like who am I and like what's beautiful about it is who am I you know I'm a teacher who's passionate who has a story but so does everybody so I hope that people are inspired to think like you can do so many amazing things like we all have really cool stories and powerful stories to tell but not to let things get in your way like we can conquer and, and do a lot of great work to help people but That was the moment, learning about something that's out there that isn't here. They were up and down the whole Southeast, no recovery high schools and man was that hard to see that there are pockets where there's recovery happening and communities being built around hope, but there was like crickets around here. Hmm. And so I think that just became clear and obvious what needed to happen so we were building a team and I think what I felt was a strength of mine was to build a team from the athletics in me and my background and being a coach and learning from other coaches, you need the right people in the right seats. You need to also be confident and comfortable asking people to leave your team when (laughs) it is just not right anymore. And uh, that's hard because nobody, I know for me, I don't love conflict, um, but I do love the mission and I'll, you know, die on that mission to do the right thing. So three years, of working really stinking hard to build the team and share what are what recovery high schools really are and were or could be in the Charlotte area. And it was really hard for anybody to look at me. Very few looked at me and said, no, like, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Almost everybody was like, oh, that's <laughs> amazing. Brilliant,
0: and you're perfect.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Far from it. And it was like, let's do this, though. Let's, let's do it. I'm in. What do you need? How can I help? And so to have the energy come right back to you from the community is why it it's exists, why it continues to grow. Um, we know that the need is so much greater than right now we have 32 students, but we started with two. Two walked in day one with myself and one recovery support staff. And so we opened with those two amazing students, and from there, 5, 8, 10, 12 15 and so on and we're at 32 starting into year f- we are c- completing the first semester of year four and we've graduated two our second year graduated nine our third year and we are anticipating graduating 15 for this year Golly. and so we've helped and supported over 50 families because the goal is for students to come to Emerald and and stay in Emerald and um, we can talk a little bit about however you want, what Emerald really is. Yeah. Um, But I'd say from that being my kind of path to getting Emerald open and a little bit of the why, the other side note is my, my angle, and at least I hope it is, that I find myself to be relatable. My own journey, my brother is five years younger, also adopted, but from a different family, and he's been struggling with substance use mental health for over 17 years. And my family is still stuck in the cycle, so I've had to learn to love them from a distance. So they're in New York, but having that angle to help families and to get the sibling perspective, I think is huge. Because not only do I feel like I can understand from my own angle, I know what it does to a family. And it's not over. I'm still in it. So I think that keeps it pretty stinking relatable. It's brutal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think all of us here at this table have definitely, uh, we've seen what addiction and mental health issues can can do to families, and we've also seen the other side of that too, the healing and and the recovery side, Um, you know, which gives me a lot of hope for all those families that are still out there struggling, that are still you know, in, the, in the grips or they're in the, the chaos of mental health and, the, and, and substance use stuff. Um, but it even gives me more hope that there's people like you that aren't gonna let this fall by the wayside and pretend like it's not going on when it's in everybody's family
3: well, That's the beauty of uh, recovery and these kids. Um, they continue to teach us, as you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: They teach every us day. every
3: stinking day, challenge us to be better people every single day because of their hope and their recovery, the good and the bad parts of it. But to get to experience that together, really just walking through life and the hard times and the great times and celebrate is beautiful. So... Do you want me to share a little bit about what yeah, the school yeah, is so and what like, it does? Yeah, so, what, what
1: – <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really care what a recovery high school is. Tell us what Emerald is. I mean, that will tell us what a recovery high sure. school is. So what is Emerald School of Excellence?
3: So Emerald School is a recovery high school for young people who are in recovery from substance use and or mental health struggles who are – I mean, they're high school ages, 13. I thought of the youngest freshman I could help and the oldest senior. That would be appropriate, so 13 to 21 – And we're here to be their high school when it makes sense in their journey of recovery and help them graduate. And for us to be that school, to hand them their high school diploma, it isn't a stepping stone. It's meant to be their school. And they start and end their day with support. Um, We try to create an environment that's welcoming, that's different, that's fun, where they can walk in and take a deep breath, where they can walk in and be 100% who they are. They can walk in crying, they can walk in laughing, they can walk in sleepy, they can walk in with all the energy in the world and play DJ, uh, like just the other day. So we start the day with a morning group that is meant to check in with the kids and see where they're at, and that has so many reasons for it. If you have a student walk into your high school and go have to take their AP test or their English exam or whatever, but they're not okay, that doesn't matter it just doesn't matter. And to get to be flexible enough to know where each student is and boy oh boy do they take turns who's in need every day. But what's great is because they're all doing their work and expected to do their work, they are all taking turns. So they get to be there for each other and they're all lifting each other up when they need to but starting the day really helps us figure out who's in major need today and how can we find strategic ways to be there together for that person or those people. And that goes also for our staff. It's the same kind of vibe. We all kind of check in with each other. But then they have traditional schools, so they have high school graduation requirements and credits. When we first started, we had a very blended model, but more online than not, with me trying to get creative with essays or projects or Shark Tank and whatever. And now we have four in-person core teachers. Our electives, since out the gate, were always in person, and I think that's coming from an elective background of PE. I just felt like the electives were necessary to be in person and the other stuff can follow. Not that I downgrade the quality of core classes, but if you feel good and you can be creative and laugh, Then other stuff can fall into place. So that was. You can do a little chemistry. Intentional, yeah. (laughs) If you work out, you can jump into that camera bio, but exactly. So we work on an eight-day, b day schedule, and the kids take core classes, and they're in small class sizes on purpose so that there's intentional one-on-one support anytime they need it. And the teachers can get to learn the students, how they learn, and make modifications or push the heck out of them if. A lot of our students are really just stinking brilliant in their own way. So to learn how to push them and when to push them is how we coach our teachers. But traditional lunchtime, we have our own little lounge, and we have coffee brewing, music going most days. And then we end the day with hopefully some laughs in a checkout process that my vision had always been for it to just be a game or a speaker or just sit there and play DJ and and listen to music like nothing too serious and that way they leave on a good note because the last thing you need is to leave school feeling like everything was a drag and everything was horrible but redefine what school can be should be in my opinion everywhere but you just it's hard if not impossible and I hate that word but to do what we get to do in a small setting when you have thousands of kids in a school it's just intimate it's intentional and you can do that in small intimate spaces
4: so
0: so you know when people and this is this would be a question kind of for our listeners but you know for people who don't quite understand what the setting or the environment might look like in there their their minds might go to kind of may, maybe a stereotypical place like a mm-hmm. you know hectic Maybe a little, uh, you know, behavior issues. You know, all those kinds of things, which I come along with any school. But yeah, I'm, I'm guessing people's minds start spinning around that. So, uh, you know, what's the what's the method of uh, can con- just lock them in closets? Right. I was going to say containment, <laughs> but that's probably the, the wrong word. <laughs> but Tommy, maybe you could answer that question. Oh yeah.
3: <laughs> well, you know what's yeah, funny? What's like? Well, yeah, I want definitely hear. I was just going to say that. Um, I, being a PE teacher, you always have to hear the phrase organized chaos. In some ways, I feel like that's exactly what happens at Emerald. If you really look and know and look for positive, like there's cool stuff happening at any minute. Yeah. But then there's also like, wait, what's going on in that room? Or why is that person in there? And like, if you knew, then you know, and it makes sense. But if you're just looking at it from an outsider, it's like, what? So... I think it's on like in some ways like you just have to kind of understand and, and be in this space and feel this space mm-hmm. to know what it's doing
0: yeah
1: thinking about that i'm just i'm um, i was kind of replaying through my own mind all the different scenario or all the different kind of scenes that could be going on at emerald <laughs> all at the same time it's like i mean you can literally like walk down the hallway and within 30 steps you can have a kid doing a science experiment with a teacher in one classroom, uh, a trio of, of students d- playing a jazz song in the music <laughs> room, and then somebody having a complete meltdown in the recovery yep. support office, like all happening at the same time, yeah. <laughs> all happening at the same time, I love and it. a tour going on.
0: <laughs> all right. All right.
1: I, mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love
2: yeah. it. I've definitely had my fair share of behavioral at um emerald but um it's not it's not like a a normal high school you don't get called into the principal's office and lectured and and whatnot it's they sit there and they work with you You Yeah, i don't want to say there's the the consequences consequences aren't that harsh but um they're very very lenient um and i'm grateful for that because you know the the last thing I need is is more punishment when I I have some other thing going on and they understand that mm. because usually when when I'm acting out or, or if a kid's acting out it has nothing to do with with the school or whatever it's something going on at home or or somewhere completely different um, so it, it is awesome to to be able to like communicate that with the teachers and and not just you know get a suspension, you know?
0: Be her. Yeah. Right. Well, it's that, that, I love hearing that, Tommy, and thank you for mm-hmm. explaining it that way because the way that I was kind of assuming it went is, you know, you think about a regular high school and not to throw shade on it, but often you're going to get... You know, teachers who are super frustrated and, mm. and whatnot, and, you know, it's very disciplinary, and it's like, you, you rule break. You know, it's black and white. You broke a rule, you go to here, you right. get in trouble, you do this, whereas I'm assuming in the in the Emerald setting, it's like, why?
1: Yeah. yeah. Why exactly. is this going What's on? What's wrong? There's, a, always a, there's always a reason. Right.
3: It's a balance between love and accountability. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah. It's saying like you are going to face a consequence, but it's going to be one that doesn't that for us makes way more sense and I think makes sense for teenagers. If they act out, there's definitely, like Tommy said, potentially something wrong or multiple things wrong. Sure. But last thing you want to do is then go send that child home to just do nothing, be home alone potentially. How is that helping to support that person and or help to shape a different behavior or reaction? We're trying to also build, ultimately the strongest version and best version of themselves and teach them life stuff. So it's more of people building than it is just about you get your diploma and your grades and good to go.
1: Yeah. It's, it's more. We'll on the back. When I'm right. doing
0: that real time in front of other students sets a really great example of just how to kind of conflict resolve. And, oh, and I mean, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, the, so that's cool. the
1: coolest thing about it is, is seeing somebody, in kind of like a little mini crisis yeah. and instead of getting you know shunned or getting ignored, or removed yeah or removed it's like everybody just wraps around them yeah it's like oh what's going on? and, and everybody knows what's going on it's not like yeah. you have these kids over here that don't have any experience you know with traumatic events or any type of mental everybody know you know for the most part knows how everybody else feels and so do the parents too
3: Well, that's the beautiful culture of, I think, recovery and quality peer support, because the kids get to be there for one another who are in different parts, but maybe in a a very solid place to help someone else who's really struggling. And the Me Too moments happen all over the place, and even from staff to student, but vice versa. And I think when the kids get opportunities to also shine their light with other people, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just really powerful for them to get to do that at any given moment. And I think the truth is they probably love and hate how much we are involved because we're really stinking involved. And because we get to know them so well, the slightest changes in behavior and mood just are amplified. Yeah. And so when asked, you know, what's up? Are you doing okay today? Or something doesn't seem right. It's because we can like feel it, see it, the changes are there. But that helps so much with preventing big, big crisis from happening because we're really being aware and intentional to be watching and listening to everybody and the
1: students do that too yeah and that's the coolest thing yeah. about you know about emerald is like that's not only coming from the staff it's coming from the kids and you know they all take turns kind of steering the ship it's like you know one day one of them will be in it and it'll be supported by another peer. And, like, three days later, that peer that was doing the supporting will be in it and the one that needed the Mm -hmm. support. And and it's just this back-and-forth flow of support. Um, And and every time something like that happens, it just makes the community stronger and stronger and stronger. And now we're in year four, and we have kids that have been there for, you know, three years. What This is your third year, right?
2: Almost. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. going into your third year. Um, So, Tommy, tell us, like... I want to hear more, a little bit about, well, a little bit about your background um, and how you got to Emerald, and, and then I want to kind of contrast that with, you know, what your life looks like now and, and what Emerald's done for you. And
2: Well, things were were normal the first couple years. We're, we're from Michigan um, and moved down to, to Fort Mill, South Carolina, so right outside of Charlotte, in uh, 2011, and then honestly, shit kind of hit the fan a little bit. Um, parents got divorced, and and that was not not super hard to deal with, like you would think. Um, just kind of like a lot of emotions going around, and um, so I quickly learned to to run from all of that, kind of hide in my room, and and not not deal with, with the problems right in front of me, right? Um, and so that kind of led to to coping skills that aren't so healthy. And it started out with eating and found a lot of comfort in that. And of course, gained some weight. Um, How old were you? Was I was nine, 10. Okay. Um, you know, sports kind of fell, fell behind me and um, isolated a lot. And um, public school kids are ruthless, so um the lunch table when you're a little bit chubby is not super fun. Um, so that you know the the thing that I found to comfort me was now causing me to to get bullied um, and and those depressive thoughts came on, so then I would eat more and and the cycle began. Um, and then going into to middle school, I decided it was time to, to change. So I dropped the eating, um, and really entirely and, and lost a, a bunch of weight and finally found like some control. Um, cause the, you know, the comments were directed towards other people now and I was joining in and, and kind of became the bully that was, you know, bullying me. And, um, yeah, and that was, you know, 6th, 7th grade, 12, 13. Um, and I started to to really gain some popularity and friendship, and it was just coming easy, and I felt like I'd finally found what I was looking for. Um, and then, you know, it, it was always... The, the goal was always to fit in, no matter what that meant. Um, so when substances were introduced, I was like, of, of course, yeah, whatever whatever's going to get me the friends and the girls and, and whatever. Um, so I think I was, I was 13 the the first time I, I took anything and what was it? It was, it was marijuana first. Um, and then drinking came later and, uh, it was, it was really just a, you know, with friends kind of deal, you know, once a month, everybody got together, whatever. And, um, and then it, it kind of evolved into, no, I kind of like doing this by myself sometimes. And in um, <laughs> and, and eighth grade uh, is, is where things really took off. Um, so it was every day. And at this point, you know, my parents were, were finding out. And um, it was, I think it was my 14th birthday party where... Um, I'd gotten caught smoking weed in the bathroom after everybody had left, so I was grounded. It was done. I couldn't go out, hang out with people, um, let alone do drugs with anybody. So that's when I discovered that there were free drugs in my house in the liquor cabinet. And so every night, um, you wait till, till my dad went to sleep, break into there, and then um I would mix tequila, bourbon, and vodka in a water bottle and just slam it. And that was every night for a couple months. Um and that just you know, because I, I started with, with the depressive and the the, anxio- the anxious thoughts and that kind of just amplified them. Cause while I was under the influence, everything was was fine, it was normal. But the second I I wake up or can't have it, it's, you know, I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with it. And um, so in in March of of 2020, um, something happened with a girl, of course, and um, that kind of just transpired and everything. And and one night I was like, I I can't do this anymore. Um, So I went to the medicine cabinet and took every over-the-counter drug I could find. Ibuprofen, NyQuil, whatever. And my intention was to die. And I remember the, the second that I swallowed them, it was instant regret. Um, so I called my friend and, and she called my dad and he's breaking down my door. And we go to the hospital, get my stomach pumped. And um, then I'm, I had my first experience with, with a treatment center. Um, down in Columbia, and it wasn't the best. I'll be honest, but um, I definitely it, it discouraged me from doing anything like that again. So I did not want to go back there. And um, fast forward a little bit, you know, I I the the mental health kind of got better. I, I started going to therapy and and doing all that, but without removing the substances, I wasn't gonna grow because that that wasn't the problem that was the solution to the problem um and if i had if i had alcohol and drugs i wasn't going to want to do you know mindfulness meditations and and talk about my problems because it it works so much better until it doesn't um and then one night in in 2020 i um had a little episode on some Magic mushrooms, and my dad finds me. Uh, we, he calls 911. We go to the hospital, and God, we probably leave there at four in the morning. And we're driving back, and it's it's awkward silence. And he says to me, he's like, "You know, you can't do this anymore." And that was the first time where I agreed, because he said that to me a million times before, but I I was ready. um so i I get checked into a treatment center I think two days later and um from that point on i I haven't um, taken a substance or, or mind altering chemical, and that was two and almost two and a half years ago um, <laughs> which is crazy but thank you um, I don't know and then you know it, i I was in treatment for about three months, and I kind of – I would leave school early. I was still going to, to public school at this time. I would leave around 12, um, go to my outpatient, and um, kind of hang out with the kids until 2, 3 in the morning, and it just wasn't working out. You know, public school does not align with that lifestyle. And um, so I, I convinced my dad to let me take a little break. Uh, from going to school, which was very difficult to do, but he found it necessary. So, my first semester sophomore year was not not very attentive. I didn't have great grades because I wasn't going, and um, it was yeah, because I was I was focused on recovery, and um, that's when a, a couple kids at the the treatment center I was at. Had heard of Emerald, gone to Emerald, know people who went there, and that's when we kind of discovered it. And um, it was very easy to to get integrated into that. And um, those those classes that I missed didn't really matter. I got caught up super quickly. And um, yeah, and that was I think January of uh, 2021 was was the first introduction. And um, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, it's it was so the the culture in in public high school isn't to talk about your feelings, uh, especially as a guy. You know, we don't hug our boys or, or cry to them when we have problems. Whereas at Emerald, you can, and it's it's acceptable and encouraged. Um, and I think that's that's the main reason why I'm still there. And of course, you know, you you go into public high school and there's drugs everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. surprisingly enough. In the bathroom, in class, wherever, and it's very hard to, to stay sober when you're constantly surrounded by it and your peers are doing it. Um, especially at the age I was at, I think it was fifteen when I first started. Um but yeah.
1: What's your favorite thing about Emerald?
2: Um the the bean bags the chairs <laughs> <laughs> um, no what bean bags we <laughs> <laughs> had bean bags there yeah. oh too
1: <laughs> um, many naps
2: <laughs> yeah i think i think what mary said earlier how you can walk in um, in any mood and kind of just get taken care of yeah. and it's not it's not a a whole big deal if um you can't take a science test that day you know, and they work with you, and, you know, going to, to college was not in the game plan for me, um, but I just finished the essay uh, yesterday, what um, essay, the, the college essay yesterday, and um, <laughs> I'm applying to, to around seven schools, um, and I didn't think that was ever going to happen with my track record. Um, but I'm, I'm so grateful that I was given the opportunity to kind of bounce back from everything I did, especially with, with COVID hitting and, and all the online classes. I just, I feel like people like me don't really work well when they're given that much leniency, when you don't even have to go to school and everything's online. Um, my GPA was, was not great during that time. And I was just able to bounce back from that, which is awesome. So, yeah. listening to that, Bridget, and you know, <laughs> recalling
1: the last three, four, five years, yeah, what was that like from from your vantage point as a mom?
4: To watch that, and then to see him, you know, struggling like that, and um, when he came and and just said. I can't stay sober at a public high school. That was when, what the hell are we going to do? And I, I didn't know there were options. I didn't know, you know, I, I thought we were going to have to homeschool or something, which, hell, right? <laughs> um, so being able to, to talk with Mary and have the option to do that. Um, I'm just very grateful, grateful for that, but, but yeah, it's, it's tough to, to listen to him, you know, the suicide attempt and, um, where he was struggling, you know, because I obviously was, was in my own, (laughs) my own, you know, battle with, with alcoholism at that, that same time. So Hmm. I have a lot of guilt. I have a lot of guilt to that. I didn't recognize it, and I wasn't there for him like I should have been. Um, but even having Emerald in the tools that they provide to mm-hmm. to help with that, and, and to make me realize and <laughs> that I needed to get help myself, um, it came from the school. It came from his treatment center. Me watching him get sober and use those tools, and realize that you know this is this is a problem for me that I need to. I need to address myself. Um, it's
0: just a whole other story. Wow. Bridget. <laughs> whole story. Holy Bye. moly. Um, so you're I, on the other side of it now, huh? Good for you.
4: Know, you know, it's just a different school. I remember when we first went to visit it and it was like, where am I? Like I'm walking into a church. Yeah. Like, what is this? Right. As, as a parent and, um, walking through the doors and you just see, you know, um, you know, don't quit your daydream or, you know, just different things. It's like, what is this school? And and artwork on the walls and you're kind of scared, you know, like what, what are we doing with our, our child? You know, especially someone like Tommy that was excelling at school and, and, you know, are they going to be able to take care of him? You know, are they going to be able to teach him what he's capable of learning? Is this going to be, um, is he going to be able to get into colleges with a school like this? You know? Um, but just meeting with Mary right away, I mean, it just kind of takes that—she I mean, just eases you into to knowing that, you know, this is the right school for them. And it's not just about academics, it's about your kid healing and, and taking care of your kids, so. But yeah, that was a little shell shock when I walked in. And most parents I talk to, same experience,
3: same experience.
1: When we have like the parent support group and and new parents come in, it's like you'll see them and they're kind of (laughs) like, they're like, you know, where am I? And then like two weeks later, like a new person walks in and that parent's like,
4: oh, come on, sit down. You're going to love it here. When I talk to new parents, I will say, you know, I just want to tell you where it is, you know, Um, and this is what to prepare for, you know, when you walk in, it's not going to look like what you expect. And that's how you really tell them because two minutes they're there, they meet with Mary, they see the kids, especially if they go during the school, it it takes you two minutes to realize you're in the right place. Yeah, really. It does.
0: You know, I, I just want to say this because, you know, you, you often hear the phrase, this will all make sense later. Um, And when you're in the moment, that, that phrase means nothing, (laughs) you know, when you're in it, you just, that that is just, just in one ear out the other. And I had a nephew that was a baseball player and COVID took that away from him. And I used to say it to him and he just was like, dude, what are you talking about? And, and all it really is, is, is at some point you're going to, you're going to sit down and go, man, if that stuff didn't happen, this wouldn't Mm. be happening now.
3: It's trusting the process
0: Mm.
3: and having faith in the process. Right.
0: Right. Well, and in y'all's scenario, I mean, you know, not every story ends up like this. We've got two major successes sitting right with us right now. And I commend you both for your effort and your action and your passion and your ability to push. Thank you. Yeah.
1: What is your... Uh, life look like now compared to what it did i mean we heard what it looked like before but in terms of like your family dynamic you all's relationships your family cohesiveness your ability to be vulnerable with with each other to support each other what is that what does that look like now
2: Well, I'm fortunate enough to, to have recovery in every single part of my life. I never really get a break. Um, I go to school, and then I go to meetings, and my work. Everybody there is is in recovery, and then I come home um, to a to a sober. Hey, mom. let's go to a meeting. Yeah, and um, but it's it's awesome because we we understand each other, and like a, a lot of parents and kids don't and um we're able to to talk about certain issues and we just we get it um and it's it it's really awesome because it's branched out not to to from just me to my mom but to other family members as well um that don't even live here and um it really is like a it, it rubs off on people yeah i think yeah i'm sure what about you, Bridget?
4: Yeah, I um, I do feel bad for him sometimes because he is recovery <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Um, but like he said, it just the way that we're able to understand each other and communicate. Sometimes it gets difficult because sometimes I just want to be his fucking mom, right? Like <laughs> I don't want to talk recovery because he will bring recovery back to a lot of things <laughs> all the time. Um, Sorry, excuse my language, but even when we're working on our program, you know, when he had to to do his, when he was doing his inventory or he was doing his night step, I had compassion. You know, I knew that he, um, it was going to be a tough day for him or I knew he needed space. Um, And the biggest piece for me is being able to own up to mistakes or to apologize and For his little sister to see us doing that, I think is something that, um, is just incredible for, I think it was Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving and, you know, he was at his dad's and I was cooking and, you know, I was waiting for them to get there and, and I was, all the things that I knew that I was, I was hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Right. And red flag, red flag, red flag, Yes, exactly. And, and I'm waiting for them to get there and they're not getting there quick enough and they get there and, you know, I just want a picture. That's all I want. I just want a picture of them and the kids and this food that I made that I don't cook and I hated every second of it. And, and I was thinking, you know, geez, you know, a glass of wine would sound good. And I know that's not an option, you know, and I was just kind of missing family and, you know, the things that I used to do and here I am all by myself and I was having a pity party. And so they get in and, you know, um, Tommy said, you know, I've been taking pictures all day at dad's. And I said, I don't really give a shit, you know, get over here and take a picture. And he stormed out of the house, which is not like him. Mm -hmm. And his sister saw that. And for me to be able to just, Pause, and talk to Breslin about it, and say, you know what happened just now. Um, I need to apologize to your brother, and for her to say, you need to make an amends, Mom. <laughs> right? Like <he's, laughs> she's getting that at ten. And yeah. so Love it's it. just to be able to to do that and call him on the phone and to apologize, and for him to come home and not have to bash it out and say who did what.
0: Um, Or it lasts for five more days. For five more days. Five years. Yeah, (laughs) five years, right, right,
4: to be able to do that. Um, And, you know, to be able to to go to a meeting with him, you know, to celebrate his two-year, you know, sobriety, for me to go to a meeting with him to get my 18-month chip. Mm. Um, But I think the most incredible thing is to understand when – one of us is struggling and we get it and to say you know even to be able to say instead of me as his mom you know trying to fix the problem call your sponsor did you call your sponsor but getting that and understanding it and knowing that i don't have to fix the problem Mm -hmm. because as a mom that's what you just want to do all the time Mm -hmm. you want to you want to coddle and you know have a pity party for them, which he tells me I can't do, and I have to understand that, but as him being my son, you just want to do that. You want to hug him, and you want to fix the problem, but being in recovery together, you know that you can't do that, and you have to give them other tools to do it, so, yeah.
0: It's, what an amazing... It's, it's neat. The, just the... You know, it makes me think, like, and not to take anything away from the word recovery, but... it. You know, if you took that word away and still practiced the things that you do, it's just mm. kinda like healthy living, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. like super, super normal. No, no. Yeah. I hate the word normal, but you know what I mean. Uh it doesn't happen enough. It, right. Oh, no. No, like, no, totally. We, it's not it doesn't happen. You're intentional
3: enough to be and like the principles of recovery are really principles for life. Just life. Right. Just in general. Totally. So, That's where
0: I was going. It's yep. like this stuff can be practiced, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily had to have a substance disorder in the past you know Mm -hmm. it's that led you here and that's you know again this will all make sense later but (laughs) all the practices that are that are under the umbrella of recovery are are applicable to the world.
1: Mary what's it like for you like hearing this I mean I know you, you know their story obviously but how do you feel about this considering like you founded this school and now you're sitting across the table from an 18 year old kid young man that has two years of sobriety and a mother who found sobriety, you know, kind of through her son's recovery. And you were able to be the container for this to kind of happen and grow. and
3: um, All the things. So I think of all the wonderful <laughs> memories with Tom and the journey, what it's been, and excited to think of what it will be. Be like the day of graduation is going to be really powerful. Um, but I also think about what you feel like when you get to experience folks before the school opened, what Hope and Recovery is all about, and you just hope you can create an environment in which it, the ripple effect is real and it continues. So to be able to hear the impact that they've had on one another is incredible yeah. and inspiring. And the I guess what's really special about it is hearing kind of – when we as an ad- as adults stop and listen, and the power of our young people saving us or changing our lives, that's right in front of us. Um, with Bridget and Tom, to just Bridget was in a spot to to pause and to listen, and I think that's it's such simple things. It's like you were saying, Robbie, like it's the most simple of things. But when we are in the world in which we live in, with so much pain and chaos and hard things, there's with access to coping with all of it in such easy escape dangerous ways but if we flip it and handled it in the way in which they just shared I mean life is not just worth living but there's so much purpose and and, and passion for what tomorrow and today bring so it's, it's just really cool to see. It's it's full circle moments constantly. Mm-hmm. And God, I mean, to me, this whole thing was faith-driven from the get-go. So to then see and know that things happen for a reason and people are inserted in your life for a reason and you keep falling where exactly you're supposed to be and these types of things happen everywhere.
1: I want to know, I mean, really from all three of y'all, like what your kind of vision of the future looks like. Um now, I want to hear it from your own individual lenses. Like, you're know, you're an 18 year old man, you know, coming into the world. What do you see the next few years of your life looking like? Next, you know, 10 years of your life looking like. Same thing with you, Bridget. And then I want to hear from you, Mary, about you know what your vision or future looks like for for Emerald and what you'd like to see and what you feel like you need. Um, but I want to. I'll start with you, Tommy.
2: Um, well, I, I feel like recovery and success kind of correlate a lot and not just financial, but, but being able to do what you want to do and, um, especially getting at it at a young age. A lot of people tell me I'm going to be president or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and they, they no wish, question. yeah, they, no they wish I could right they, now, actually, they wish they could have done it at my age. Um, but I don't know. I really, I really do care about this topic um, of just of helping people who don't who don't know what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything involving that, um, and Patrick, you've told me before. If I'm not helping people, I'm gonna hate it um, with whatever I do. So. Um, yeah, whether it's it's a treatment center or it's uh, I'm a motivational speaker, um, I, I don't care as long as I'm I'm helping you know either kids like me or, or parents dealing with kids like me. Um, I I see that in my future a, a great deal. Well, you, Bridge,
4: That's the craziest question for me. Because at 50 years old, <laughs> I my life should be, you know, like like you said, you know, everything happens for a reason. It will all make sense. I just wish somebody would have told me sooner, right? Mm-hmm. But um, for me, you know, I mean, I, I've been in human resources for, you know, 25 years. I have a master's in it, and I thought that's what I was always going to do, right? I thought I was going to, you know lead a company or, or, you know, do something in that field. And now since I've gotten into recovery and um, watching my son recover and watching all of these kids um, and helping parents, I, that's what I see myself doing. It's almost, and Tommy and I are kind of similar in our personality when we when we see something and we want something and kind of like you were saying, Mary, it's like something just keeps pushing me. And, and I know it's God, um, telling me to, to keep going with this. Um, I feel like I'm working to, to make a paycheck, right. But I'm consuming myself with, um, whether it's a recovery group at church it's leading you know at his his treatment center it's sponsoring moms you know with kids that are addicts um I feel like God has this purpose for me to um pay forward what was given to me I'm gonna get emotional but um I just I feel like um I have to share my story because i feel like there's so many parents out there that are ashamed that have guilt that their child um is an addict because they were because they couldn't quit or the trauma that they caused um and us being in the programs and we know we didn't cause it we can't cure it we can't control it right but did we contribute Mm -hmm. and i think that guilt that a lot of parents carry that maybe they don't even want to admit that they have a problem, um, but to say, you know, and I believe this, and and I just hold true to it that when you admit that you have a problem and you go through recovery, you are doing some of the most amazing spiritual work you can do on this earth. I mean, it's it's almost like you're being a better person that you just should be all along. But for people to get there, it's it's hard. And that's why not everybody does it. That's why not everybody goes to recovery. That's why not everybody does the 12 steps because it's not easy. Nothing in life that is good comes easy. Um, but there's so much hope. And to be able to just share with other other parents and moms that it's okay if you have a problem. It's okay if you feel like, ashamed because you didn't get sober sooner, right? I'm 50 years old, right? I've had a drinking problem my whole life. You know, why at 50 years old did I get sober? Well, it happened for a reason, right? Maybe to walk alongside it with Tommy, maybe to, you know, um, be able to to help other, other moms or their parents to say, hey, listen, you know, we had a pretty shitty story. It was pretty bad. And for us to be able to get through it and have this life and then have a little girl um, that, you know, she may be an addict, right? We don't know. She may have the allergy, but she doesn't have to, you know, suffer from it. You know, she can watch us use our tools. Um, and it's tough because, in Tommy and I were talking about it earlier, it's my dad's birthday today and he died from alcoholism, right? Um 12 years ago and and I feel guilty that I couldn't save him, right? I feel like if I would have got sober sooner, right? I would have been able to to help him. And you know, but his father was an alcoholic, right? And nobody just talked about alcoholism in my family. They just didn't. I knew people got sober, but I didn't know why, I didn't know how. You know, I have seven uncles that are sober. And Why did they – how did they get sober, you know? Um, And just being able to break that generational chain, right, of of addiction in families. Like it can stop with you, and it doesn't matter how old you are.
0: That's
4: right.
2: Right. I think we have this cool kind of dynamic duo tag team relationship where I'll come to you, and I'll be like a kid told me their parent is is going off the rocker and or whatever and can you talk to them blah 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 mm-hmm. and then you'll come to me and you're like this parent told me <laughs> that their kids doing this and blah 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 and um like, I got him, I got him. yeah and we kind of just just bounce back and forth and, and help people
4: <laughs> yeah awesome. we did we did it That's yesterday cool. and yeah. um, and Tommy is actually the one that taught me attraction rather than promotion, right? Because my personality, like, I just want to go and I want to save the world. But that's actually how he did it with me. It's the craziest thing. Um, he would say, you know, hey, mom, you know, read this, you know, chapter four of the agnostics in the blue book. This is when I was actively drinking, you know. And so uh, I just finesse. constantly. <laughs> agnostics. Or come to a meeting with me, see what I'm doing, you know. So, see what I'm doing. Yeah, see what I'm doing. So, but we do. We just do things and we tag team with each other, which is just a cool thing to be able to help other people. And I think that's what our journey is, and I think that's where I see myself is um, places like Michigan that doesn't have a lot of recovery and support. I feel like God brought me here at that time that He did for Tommy to get sober. Because in Michigan, where would he be, right? Mm. Yeah. Where would he be?
0: Thank you for sharing all that. And you attribute a lot of where you are now to external influences. And I just want to tell you, you were probably just ready. Give, yeah. your, give yourself some credit. Mm.
4: Some grace. Yeah,
0: a little grace here. A little grace here and there. One of the things that you said when you
1: were when you first just started talking was that how cool it is to kind of see the kids. Um grow and Emerald or see the success stories and see the success stories within the families. Um, I, I think that that's something that I, I really want to impress upon our listeners because people that aren't in this every day or they don't have a lot of experience working with people um, or that hadn't been really in their face, um, there tends to be this kind of grim outlook on outcomes Um, And I just I wanted to give Mary a a couple minutes to, you know, share on some of the success stories at Emerald and what she sees, you know, and and Tommy and Bridget, you guys can chime in on this, too, Um, because I'm like shouting it from the rooftops all the time as much as I can. But I want to give our listeners just a a kind of a glimpse at the not this just isn't a place for like troubled kids to go that need help and like yeah. we're just going to keep them off the streets right. i mean like right. these kids are killing it through <laughs> they're thriving i mean dude like you're applying to freaking stanford like yeah. like, <laughs> like that needs to be talked yeah. about yeah. like so like what mary like mm-hmm. give, give us some stats i mean i know you don't have them in front of you but like
3: so the first thing that came to mind as you're saying this was a student said recovery is an upgrade. And I think that's what we need to like highlight here, because yeah. to your point, you know, supporting young people in recovery, we get, get to all of us kind of redefine for the community and the world at large, like what that actually means and to break down the barriers of shame and guilt and all of that. And just explain like, really, this is just a, uh, in my opinion, where we need to be today for teenagers, because I don't even know many young people ages 13 to 21 who don't struggle or have struggled at some point in that time frame yeah. with everything that Tommy mentioned yeah. or, or parts of it. So instead of it being this kind of exclusive group of people, it's really meant to be a model for how Everybody. we should do things, mm-hmm. just period.
2: Yeah.
3: Why there should be like peer support groups in every school, why classrooms should be smaller. You know, screaming from the rooftops for and advocating for teachers who went into the the profession for the right reasons but have so many roadblocks and barriers. So Emerald is really so much more than just a recovery high school. The intent is to shake up the way we do things because I feel witnessing it myself, living it and going through a traditional school myself, we're so behind where the world is today for teenagers and what they're where there will be. If we stick to traditional, I'm just going to stand in the front of the classroom and just teach direct instruction for the next 40 weeks. That's just not how they learn. They can Google what you're saying right now on mm-hmm. your phone and tell you you're wrong. So like how how in the world or why in the world would we continue to do it that way? It's more about the the interpersonal relationships, the Mm -hmm. growth, the emotional intelligence, because when they leave, as Tommy's describing how he's feeling set up and prepared for success because of recovery, if every young person has a, a form or a version of what the 12 principles or 12 steps of recovery are like for them, then you won't hear CEOs complaining about no one prepared with soft skills. You won't drive through the drive through and expect your order to come out and it's epically wrong or they left out everything. Just the workforce at large, so much can change. So to me, we're seeing and witnessing a small piece of a ripple effect that can be giant when Bridget, when Tommy, when students at Graduate Emerald, when the staff and their experience can take that along the rest of their life and their journey to put that impact and then create. It's, it's to just be... a a better world and a better place for future generations. It's just so much about urgency and now, and let's model it and grow it and pour into it like crazy so that we can see the change happen in all the traditional settings and more alternatives are created. There's more community. The phones are put in a basket in the corner so we can look at each other and actually be together. Um, but success, gosh, I mean, and right in front of us is a huge story. Yeah.
1: Just like in terms of sobriety, like, I, yeah. mean, I mean, like, absence based oh, recovery, like, shoot out some numbers.
3: So we have, gosh, even this week alone, we had two students or have two students approaching a year of sobriety. And we, lo- we love at Emerald to celebrate like crazy. Mm. We've had, at this point, over 10 people, probably closer to 15 that have hit a year of sobriety. Last year alone, we had four students who hit two years of sobriety. And that, and that's just the fact we've only been open yeah. for, this is our fourth <laughs> year. So the kids are coming to us with early journeys of recovery or may have some bumps in the road. But then once they find their place and their, their passion for just hope, they're sticking with it. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I think is key, right? Because we know that this has a layer of how important it is Like Tommy said, to find this early is such a gift And people will tell you that over and over again. But just thinking truly, like if you figure out some things that adults in their 40s, 50s, 60s were never (laughs) yet to figure out, but they figured out at 14, 15 and so on. I mean, yeah, president, um, you know, mayor, like just just all the things make sense because that's that the fight has begun now. Yeah, they're finding finding themselves,
1: you know, I mean, I I see it all the time because I'm around the kids all the time, but it's like the level of emotional intelligence and insight and self-awareness, it far exceeds, you know, the other 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids that I know. Right. Um. Just because they've been introduced to to the idea of recovery, which you know breeds self awareness and mm-hmm. and autonomy and responsibility and emotional intelligence,
0: honesty. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it, it's like that's why. Like, I, and I've said this before. On the like, when you hear people say, "I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic," oh, yeah. or like, "I'm a grateful recovering," or I'm addict, so glad I was an alcoholic. Like, I, I think about that all the time. Like, if I never had a substance use issue. Like you know, I wouldn't have.
4: It yeah, wouldn't of be st- as perfect as you are right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I we We're all watching. All. my life is,
2: is better than it was before I ever used anything, because of that. Yeah,
4: and my life is better at fifty than it's ever been my entire life, right?
2: Yeah, because so. yeah. I I think it's it's, of course, getting sober is part of it, but I think that's really just the the first step, and then. The rest of it is kind of just – it sets you up for life and and how to deal with everything. I'm a better employee. I'm a better student. Um, I'm a better son. It's not just, oh, I have this certain amount of time without doing drugs because I probably shouldn't have done drugs anyway. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's just overall a great thing. So where are we headed?
3: So with 32 students, year four – I'd love to see us 50, 60 kids, our capacity right now, by the end of 2023, early 2024. And then the dream is to have our own space, continue, like I said, to be the model for what it looks like for education period, for young people period. Mm -hmm. Um, But to do that, it has to start to build and build upon itself and let more people know and help more families and grow our staff and We've been able to do that for now four years. So I see it just being where the dream is to be somewhere around 80 to 100 students year after year after year, yeah. and then building that out to other communities and speaking to principals and schools of all kinds everywhere on how you can implement a lot of these pieces and tools of recovery into your day to day everywhere. So we have a lot of work to do, tons and tons, but we've, we've made it this far.
0: Oh, we got your back no, mm-hmm. no That's back. for sure One last question for you okay. You've already kind of answered it okay. Pretty much But we're going to get you to wrap it up With a nice little bow Mary Freary, why do you care so damn much?
3: It's, it's simple But gosh, it's hard to say I don't know <laughs> It's so stupid Because it's really simple <laughs> <laughs> Because God told me to. <laughs> and when you have a connection with a higher power that has given you gift after gift after gift, it's just obvious. Just keep doing it. Keep just giving me those hilarious moments of you're doing what you're supposed to do. It's people that will do things, or I have to share this is really important. I love sports still. And on Netflix, there was this special called Playbook. If anybody watched the Boston Celtics when they were phenomenal, um, the coach had his amazing players. It was like Paul Pierce and I forget all the names right now, but they were phenomenal. And there was a lady that went up to the coach and said, you have phenomenal talent individually, but if they don't ever work as a team, you got nothing. Mm-hmm. And so he was introduced to this word Ubuntu. Mm-hmm.
2: So stupid,
3: but it's amazing. So, (laughs) so Mbutu is this um, African word that means I am because you are. He had a student that made a joke about it saying like, I'm cold because you're cold and like just silly stuff. But (laughs) truthfully, we're all in this like together and we help each other and I'm here. So we're all here. You're here. I'm here on purpose. And to say that. We made hoodies with this word and, like, I am because you are and this whole thing. And we had an intentional conversation with one of our first students as to where he should go to college. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't know if he should go the easy route because he'd get in or if he should challenge himself to go somewhere. And we sat and I just had a platform. But he made all of the decisions and he made all of the realizations. And he pursued something that was so important to him and it's music. And he was accepted to Berklee School of Music that I don't think he ever would have thought. And of course he's a, a certain special for me cause he was the first, he walked in those doors with me when Emerald opened. But this is the best part. I get a picture text from his family when they're moving him into Spain cause he got into that program, into Spain. And outside his dorm, there's a picture of a storefront. And it says Ubuntu on the freaking storefront. (laughs) And I was just like, thank you, God, because you just worry. Like, did he make the right decision for himself? Nobody knows, right? But like, now I know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think he knows. But those kinds of things are happening all the stinking time. And that, for me, is God at work. And so even through hard times, really great times, because it's his vision and I'm just trying to listen and follow it through, I know that it's just going to continue to be what it needs to be. So there's your short, quick, and long answer. <laughs> yeah, that
1: couldn't have gone any better.
0: All right. Thank, you. Thank, thank you. you. thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, one more thing emeraldschool.org yes emeraldschool.org we got a gala coming up february 10th you can buy tickets online emeraldschool.org if you want more info on that you can get in touch with me too um hope everybody can make it it's going to be a
0: big gala big party yeah, big old big old time big fun time The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit DilworthCenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit the Blanchard or call 704 1097